0: If you got your Bibles, go to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, I think it's chapter 12. I want. Yeah, 2 Samuel chapter 12. When you get there, we're going to start at verse 1. We'll start at verse 1. Get there, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you and we praise you for being God. Truly give us your heart, help us to see as you see, to feel as you feel, God, and to truly love you, God, and love your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we've been talking about sin. And a couple of weeks ago, we tried to give some definition of what sin was. We talked about how sin was more than just a thing that we do, but it's a a principle, it's a force, it's a power. And that this principle, this force, this thing that can overtake us, that it has power. Jesus said that he who commits sin becomes a slave to it. That we said there's pleasure in it. It talks about Moses, how he didn't want to enjoy the pleasures of sin even for a season. And there's also a punity that comes along with sin. About the judgment and the wrath that God pours upon his people because of their sin. So sin is a force outside of us. It's something that can overtake us, but it's something that can produce pleasure in us. But in the end result, it's something that brings pain or something that has a penalty connected with it. And so we began a little bit yesterday, last week, talking about transitioning into our response to sin. Said my message got a little blended and messed up because some things happened. But the basic idea we want to come across is that we should have a certain response to sin because we were created for God's pleasure and God has a certain response to sin. And we went through a couple of scriptures to show you that God hates sin. That it's something that brings his displeasure. It's something that that provokes anger and wrath within him and it's more than just a, a cliche thing of God hates the sin but loves the sinner. You don't find that in the Bible. That there's no disconnect between the sin, the sinner and his sin. That they both are recipients of the same thing and that is the raft of god so we're going to continue in that vein of how do we respond last week we talked about one way that we respond a principal way is is that we have to be willing to give up on our own identity our own conception of ourselves that jesus said that if anybody want to follow him luke chapter 9 verse 23 if anybody want to be a follower of him the first thing they must do are principally they need to deny themselves and we talked about how that word deny means to disassociate yourself from yourself. what well, seems to be an impossibility. How can you say, I don't know me? Who is it that's not knowing? I'm saying, well, that's what Jesus is saying. And it shows you the drastic level that he has to this thing. So you can't allow what seems natural to you to allow an acceptance of sin. And that's what's the main brunt of it. That there are certain things, that there are certain emotions that go on in our heart that we identify as being a part of ourselves. Like this stuff is natural. So God has to want me to do it because this is just who I am. Some folks say I was born this way. But it doesn't matter because you have to disassociate yourself with yourself and allow God to recreate you. And we're talking about the end and talked about preparing for temptation. Another response is he said that in Galatians that we know that was Romans. That you don't make any provisions for the flesh. And what that means is you order your life in such a way that the natural fleshly desires you have, you don't make room to appease them. And so we're going to look a little bit at that and take some examples. We got three biblical figures. We're going to look at their stories and we're going to move on to some other responses from sin. So we're going to take three pictures and show you their responses to sin and see can we learn from that. Well, the first one up to bat is David. Everybody know the famous story of David and Bathsheba that David was supposed to go to war time war was going on, his nation was out warring, his troops was out warring he was chilling in the palace yeah, I understand that, and I don't think but the Bible put that detail in there. I don't think it did that like haphazardly I think there was a the purpose said at the times that the kings were supposed to be the war, so David had something he was supposed to be doing. He mustn't feel like doing, cause he didn't go. He chilled in at home. He out and he see this woman bathe, bathing on the roof. Which in their time and in their day, this really wasn't an odd sight. Like that's just what people did. Like I said, they didn't have indoor plumbing like we got, so most homes had pools. What they they had little pools that they bathed in. Hers was on the roof. So she was up there taking her bath. And David steps out and see her. Lust entered his heart. He wanted the woman. A married woman. He a married man, married to about, I think at this time he got like five or six wives. So there was no need for David to have another wife. <laughs> there was no need for David to want another woman. He had more than he can have. He had about five, six of them, I think, by this time. But he sees her. Tell his people to bring her to me. She comes. Whether under duress, whether just being compelled because it was the king, we don't know. All we know, we showed up. They do their thing. Next thing they know, she pregnant. David, a little shocked in himself. Like, oh, oh, what else going to do now? Because you're the king of the nation. And you just impregnated one of your soldiers. Wife. That makes it even worse. Like this man out here putting his life on the line for you and your kingdom. And you out here and got your wife pregnant. So David has a bright idea. Hurry up. Get Uriah. Bring him home. So that we can cover this whole thing up. So that was David's plan, to cover up his sin. I ain't going to let nobody know. I'm just going to cover it up. Sort of like when the women get pregnant that be on TV shows, then they have to keep the show going, but the actor ain't pregnant. So they have to do little small stuff. She always at her desk the whole time the thing is going. You never see her get up because she don't supposed to be pregnant. So David tried to do a little something like that. Bait and switch. But Uriah was an upright man. He wasn't like David. And Uriah's response was, My brother's out there fighting. I'm not going to be at home chilling, enjoying the regular life. So David even amps it up a bit. They show you the perverseness of his mind. He said, let's get the brother drunk. David liquor him up and Uriah still wouldn't go home to be with his wife. Now he's stuck and David, the amazing thing is David realized that, hey, this is one righteous brother. No matter what I do, I can't get him to do what I want him to do. So you know what? I'm going to kill him. I'm like, that That seemed deep, no? <laughs> this Not to say, okay, I'm caught. I messed up. Let me just put it all on the table. His mind go to, I'm going to kill him. And it's so twisted and sadistic that he writes a note to the general to tell him, you take Uriah, put him on the front lines, and he gives Uriah the note. Because he know this is a righteous brother. And that makes it even more crazy. Like you know this man is so right that you can put his death sentence in his hand and he ain't going to take the time to read it. He gave the man his own death sentence secretly. Sent him out there and Joab sent back word. The deed is done. Whew. David married Bathsheba. Now he on with his life. So David's initial response to his sin was to cover it up now this is the same man who wrote the vast majority of the Psalms, this is the same man who said whether can I flee from your presence whether can I flee from your spirit if I make my bed in the lowest hell behold thou art there with me this is that same David but somehow he imagined in his mind that he can cover up and hide his sin that's amazing but that show you the power of sin that a man with this consciousness of God, that the man who's, who spent his lifetime on the back of the mountain, herding sheep, being the very presence of God, singing all these beautiful songs about the greatness and the beauty of God, can be caught in a moment of sin and not be conscious of God whatsoever. Because if you read that in, in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, God don't show up. It's all about David and his plot and his plan and his desires. And that's amazing thing that the person who we learn the most about God from. Don't think about God when he caught in his mess. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 12. After David and did his do everything going. he married the woman. Now he think everything's cool. And the prophet shows up in chapter 12. Saying the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him. There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. And it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was nigh unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock, And of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan as the Lord liveth. The man that hath done this thing shall surely die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing. And because he had no pity. This is deep. This is the opening. Nathan the prophet show up. And he tells him this little parable. I love the response of David. Y'all saw what David did. He got mad. And the righteous indignation of David went to the top level. Not even so much to say, who is this dude so we can throw him in jail? Who is this dude so we can find him? David said, the dude shall die. It's like, it's over with. Ain't no way in the world somebody going to do this. And that shows you. I like Just going through this to point to you the power of sin. In his blind inability, David was in a position of righteousness. He was the king. It was his job to execute judgments, justice and judgment. But he could not see that he himself was worthy of the same justice and judgment that he was willing to give to the rest of the land. It didn't even enter his mind that he was talking about him. Do you see that? He was ready to kill the dude. It's because he was blinded by the own deceitfulness of his sin. He thought he had covered it up. Which made him think it was okay. Ain't no way the prophet could be talking about me. Completely unconscious of what he had going on. Because that's what sin does to us. It deceives us. It tricks us. It blinds us and keeps us from seeing ourselves as we truly are. And Nathan continues. Verse 7. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man, Now you the man. Thus said the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house, and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had not been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore, hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thy house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus said the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. This is deep. This is Nathan's response. David's response to his sin was to hide it, was to cover it up, was to make means by which he blocked the world from seeing it. The world didn't know what David did. Only David and Joab knew of the deceitfulness that he had pulled off. Because Joab was who he gave the letter to. But God comes and God exposes him. And God brings judgment on the house of David because of his sin and because of his iniquity. And the prophet calls him out. You the man. And the amazing thing is a lot of layers to this. You notice what he called Uriah, right? He's Uriah the Hittite. There's a contrast. The Hittites was a wicked nation that dwelled northern, north of Israel. So you look at the map close to what we would call modern-day Turkey, up in that region. Those were the Hittites. When God delivered the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, part of the nation they were supposed to destroy was the Hittites. They were supposed to wipe them out. Because of the wickedness of the Hittites. Israel. God's chosen people. Supposed to be the righteous ones. Hittites. Worshipping all these false gods. And all these fake things. Supposed to be the wicked ones. But in this. Scene right here. We have a Hittite and we have a Jew. The Hittite is the righteous one. And the Jewish man is the wicked one. And that shows you. That it does not matter who you are. Where you are from. You got a poor little Hittite man. A stranger living in a strange land. He had no right. He had no heritage from these people. Actually he was supposed to be the enemy. But he joined himself. And turned to the God of Israel. And lived a righteous life. More righteous than the king who was over him. But the king. In his wickedness. Sinned against this Hittite man. And I love the way that God responded. Like you have despised me in the thing that you have done to Uriah. Uriah was a Hittite. Uriah was not supposed to exist because his family and his lineage was supposed to be wiped out long before he was born. But the sin against Uriah, God counted it as despising himself. You you see the way God think about these things. You're like, man, I ain't do nothing to you, God. I was just messing with a little Hittite. I just killed the Hittite. The people you told me we supposed to kill a long time ago. But God looked at him and said, you have despised me. You have rejected me because of the thing you did with Uriah's wife. So God takes sin as a personal affront to himself. And that shows the foolishness of David's response to sin because he wasn't sinning against Uriah. He wasn't sinning against his nation. He was sinning against God and thought that he was hiding from God the thing that he had done because he kept Uriah from finding out. Because he kept the nation from finding out. And it goes the same way with us. When we sneak, when we creep, when we're doing things and we have secret sins in our hearts and we're trying to protect people from finding out. It's like, man, I don't don't want no, I can't let black know. I was out down there in that thing, so I'm saying. <laughs> and so we 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 change our lives and we make up lies to protect people from finding out the thing that we have done. And what you are doing is being most disrespectful. Now, how do you say that? Like when I'm at work a lot of times, once people find out that I'm a preacher, they get acting all weird. Get acting all weird. And one of the most common things is they start apologizing for cussing. Cuss up a stone. My bad, my bad. I don't, I don't mean to offend you. <laughs> it will be crazy. Now most times I sit there and laugh. But some years ago I started with this response. I use every now and then against against people. Like, man, don't show me more respect than you show God. And that catches a little folks off God. I said, I only pulled that one out with the folks that close to me. That man, excuse me for cussing. No, man, don't show me more respect than you show God. You cuss in front of him, you can cuss in front of me. And they never think about it like that. (laughs) And it messes folks' head up because it shows you where true allegiance is. It's the perception of people. And we're not conscious of God. So our perception of people is what dictates our response to our sin because we're not thinking about God when we think about our sin. We're thinking about our identity. We're thinking about what folks going to think about us. We're thinking about messing up relationships. We're thinking about ending families. We're thinking about all these other things but God never enters into our mind, so that show and it shows in the way that we respond to sin. And so our response to our sins cannot be like David. We cannot think that we, if we keep it from people, if it is something that's hidden, if it is something that is not known, I took care of it. It's okay. When we respond to sin, we must be conscious of the fact that when we sin, we're sinning against God. We're being disrespectful to God. We're rejecting him when we're despising him. That's what God told David. He didn't say, David, you low down because you messed that man up. And you shouldn't did him like that. I'm like, no. In the thing that you did, you despise me. And I'm pretty sure David would say, "Oh God, I love God." But God didn't say that. I know you love me because I can see your heart. And know, uh, you messed up a little bit. You know what I'm saying, and I understand because your heart was really for me. No, you said you despise me. In the thing that you did so let's get god in our consciousness let's get god in our awareness as we think about ourselves and as we think about our relations and our connections to people when you mistreat people you're mistreating god because people are made in the image of god that's what james said That sweet water and blessings can't flow out the same mouth because you bless god who you claim you love but then you curse men who was made in the similitude of god and so as we curse and mistreat men and as we abuse men and take advantage of men we're abusing and mistreating and take advantage of God. Because God is the one who we ultimately have to do with. So we cannot have the response of David. What was David's response? He tried to hide his sin. And he wasn't conscious of God. We need to be conscious of God and know that we cannot hide our sin. I was thinking, I always think about this preacher. that church some years ago. This man, he came to the church Supposed to be in a big bishop brother and all that type of stuff. he preaching and doing his thing. And in the middle of his sermon, he get to talking about his daughter. And he was telling the story about how his daughter ended up getting pregnant before she got married. And he was talking about how angry and indignant he was. And how upset he was that she got pregnant. And immediately his mind went to, what else going to do with this baby? And he started to try to think of ways to keep the people from knowing that his daughter was pregnant. And this the big bishop brother man who banged with the people who walk around Washington DC with red tape on their mouth. He rubbed shoulders with these type people. But his initial thought was, we're going to kill this child. We don't call it that. I'm sorry. We're going to get it an abortion. That's, that's his initial thought. And his daughter had to tell him, no, dad, I'm not killing my baby. Now, the amazing thing is, as he's telling his story, he, he getting a little sorry. And his deal was, my daughter had to rebuke me. Then he's getting the, quoting the scriptures about how when you raise them in the way that they should go, when they're old, they will not depart from it. So his daughter brought him back because the word that he implanted in her heart kept him from killing his grandchild. And that was deep. And the people cheered because this man seemed to be broken. But I was perplexed. And my perplexity was that, hold up, brother. I understand. You were broken because your daughter got pregnant. Producing a child and having a baby is not a sin. Your daughter was out there doing it. He wasn't broken by that. (laughs) I'm saying he wasn't crying by that. It ain't produced no chills until she got pregnant. Because you can hide the fact that she doing it. She can't hide it no more with that belly pop up. And that shows you the connection and the perception. The sin ain't the sin having my sins found out, that's the bad thing. And that's because we're not conscious of God when we do it. And that takes us to our next man. Like we're going to journey on back a couple of years. We're going to keep going back in history. We're going to go back to 1 Samuel. And we're going to meet this king who preceded David, dude named Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to meet this dude named Saul who preceded David. Uh, Saul is a very, for some reason I like the story of Saul. I learned a lot from Saul. Now he ain't the best person to, 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 to follow. He's really not a role model. But it's just something about his story that resonates with me for some reason. I guess because he was semi-tall and semi-shy. But I pray to God I don't get the second half of Saul. He got big-headed and prideful. <laughs> when he started off, he was a humble man, a shy man, and he was somewhat tall. We're going to pick up in, in in verse 13. This is Saul, chapter 15, verse 13. So David's response to sin when well, he tried to cover it up he was not conscious of God and tried to hide it. And God had to call him out. And all them punishments that God put on him really did come to truth. His son ended up raping his daughter. Another son ended up killing that son. And then eventually his eldest son gets so mad at David that he kicked David out of the kingdom, took over the kingdom, and committed a sexual act with David, one of David's wives on top of the roof in front of the whole nation. Like God said, you do this thing secretly, but I'm going to do it openly before the sun. All that stuff came to true in David because of that one mistake and that one misstep Ravaged his family for forever. But his predecessor, Mr. Saul, we're picking up here in the middle of chapter 15. We're going to start at verse 13 just to give you the background. Saul was the first king of Israel. When they came out, they did not have kings. They had these things that they called judges that was over them. And basically all the judges was, was closer to a tribal leader. And he basically just came and took over disputes. They had multiple judges. Sometimes they had a judge in the north and a judge in the south. But then they realized all the nations around them had kings. And they were the only nation that they knew of that they have a king. So they started begging God. And talking to Samuel, their last judge, telling them, hey, man, we want us a king. Give us a king. God said, y'all really don't want that. Samuel said, y'all know y'all don't want that. And God said, all right, they want it, give it to them. And he told them all the bad things that the king was going to do. They said, we don't care. We want us a king. They get Saul. Saul, like I said, was a humble man. When they came to announce him as king, Saul was hiding. They had to go find him. Cause he didn't want to have anything to do with it. Samuel went and, went and get him, had to drag him out like, hey y'all, this your king. And that would have made me say, hold up. <laughs> the dude who running and hiding, he gonna be the leader. <laughs> hold up, hold up, dog. We sorry, God. We don't want no more king. That was, that was my response would have been, but they took him. And Saul became the man. Saul went out to the wars. He fought some wars. He got victorious. People started praising Saul. Saul the man. Saul slaying giants and doing all this type of stuff. So Saul the man. He gets to go in his fight. His nation come against him called the Amalekites. Alright? They're supposed to destroy this nation. And God gives the word at the beginning of verse 15 through the mouth of Samuel. You're going to go and destroy the Amalekites. Wipe all of them out. When you wipe them out, don't take nothing. Kill animals, sheep, burn all the jewelry, everything. Destroy it all. Don't let anybody live. This was Saul's command. So this is where we at. Saul got a command to kill everybody and destroy everything, animals and all. And so we pick up with Saul. In verse 13 it says Samuel came to Saul and Saul said unto him blessed be thou of the Lord I have performed the commandment of the Lord and Samuel said what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear this always I always have to pause on this. Samuel came to Saul and the first thing Saul says blessed be you you of the Lord I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Y'all read that right? Basically, I did what God told me to do. What did God tell him to do? Destroy everything and kill who? Everybody. He said he did that. Samuel said, "What's? I hear some sheep. Like, where'd that come from then? Let's keep going. In 15, and Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. Hold up, Saul. Now Saul is fully conscious of where these sheep come from. The men, my soldiers, they brought them from the Amalekites. But he opened up saying what? I did everything you told me to do. Y'all see that? Now how many of us, by the show of a hidden hand, have done this? A hidden hand, raise it in your heart. (laughs) How many of us have done this? Y'all, y'all you don't think you ever did it before? Basically what he have done is he got it in his own mind of how this thing's supposed to work. So God gave him a command. He came up with a good idea. The people told him, hey, Saul, man, these some good sheep they got down here. We can take these sheep and we can sacrifice to the Lord. He's like, yeah, man, the Lord do like sacrifice. So we're going to take these things and sacrifice to the Lord. Amen. So he was doing, he had a good idea. But his good idea was disobedience to God's command. And sometimes we have good ideas. God will tell us directly what to do, then we sit there and we think about it, then we get a good idea. I'm saying, it, we ought have done it to some degree. Like God might tell you to go, just talk to somebody. Tell them to say hey. Like that seems simple. See, so we start off with the easy stuff and people won't feel bad. <laughs> and God tell you, go go speak to them. Just tell them hey. And you be like, Well, they got the headphones on. <laughs> and God, they, they really don't do. They, they really don't think. So, since I don't want to distract them, I'm gonna go wave. <laughs> now, Mentally, that do seem like a good idea because it's respectful not to distract people. Respectful not to come and spread. They got the headphones in. That's a sign when you're in a public place with headphones on, that means you don't want to be bothered. And the strange thing is, that's all of America. <laughs> so you you had a good idea. It's all right, right, right. Yeah, i want to get this right. They jack out their coffee. I'm saying they ain't had have a chance to taste it yet. It's still hot. So I'm just going to go away. And so you go by and you wait. Then you get in your car. You feeling bad. Then you get the feeling bad. <laughs> like I know that was the Lord talking to me. I should have spoke. And you get a thought in your mind. Well, let me drive back by. Now. Maybe they still sitting down. And they long gone. <laughs> and then the rationalization began to take place. And you explain how you really did what God told you to do. Because God did. He just said speak. He ain't not tell me how to speak. So I spoke when I said, hey. And you ease your conscience and you feel good a little bit and you go on by your way have yourself a good day. That's what Saul did. Now sometimes we do that with more wicked stuff but we don't want nobody to feel bad. We're just going to let Saul feel bad and God told us his story. We ain't going to tell our own right now. <laughs> so that's what Saul did. He justified in his mind a good thing to do. And that good thing led him to the disobedience of the God thing. But he it did not register to him that he was being disobedient. Like I said, also who got children, you'd have seen that. You tell them that you clean up the kitchen, wash all the dishes, saying wipe off the counter, sweep up on the floor and all, and so on and so forth. And you go in there, you got dishes on the stove. You still got crumbs in the corner. And you be like, I thought I told you to clean up that kitchen. I did. <laughs> and you're like, ain't that some pot on the stove? See, that one had food in it. <laughs> you ain't tell me to put the food up, too. <laughs> like, oh, look, 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 child, you want to get your boy back in the kitchen and watch a bit? <laughs> See, but they had an idea in their mind that they produced themselves. And it's because it's their own idea and it sounds good, it convinced them that they did what you told them to do. I said, we do the same thing with God. And that's what Saul had going on here. He had a good idea, but it was wrong though. Let's keep going. Fifteen. Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou was little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey, and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of the Amalek, of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Hold up, Saul. He's obstinate. Samuel got on him about the sheep. Now he get to confessing. Now like your child told you, I have. Watch this, but I couldn't watch that one that got the food in it. And it's some other stuff that I put in the pantry. That that stuff it was too stuffed. That stuff was stuck on and I had to let it sit there and let it soak. You remember you told me about letting it soak? You're <laughs> <laughs> like, hold up. So it's more than just that pot you ain't wash. did ain't do nothing else that I told you to do. Now what Saul said, like we brought back the king of Agag, the king of Amalek. So not only did you not destroy all the animals like I told you, but you left the king alive. But still, Saul is saying he did with everything that he told him to. Saul is obstinate. That's his response. He will not be wrong. No matter what happened, he's still right. Let's keep going this thing. 19. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil now? 21. But the people took of the spoiled sheep and the oxen and the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, "Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee from being king. This is thee. This is God's word to him in response. Saul's response to his sin being found out was to be obstinate and to justify himself. He had to make himself right. He just wouldn't listen when Samuel was telling him it's wrong. But he attempted to justify his sin. And since he was obstinate, God gave some beautiful things in there. He said, obedience is better than sacrifice. Cause Saul had the good idea that I can do this and I'm doing it for the Lord. And doing this for the Lord gives me the right not to do this other thing cause that don't make sense. And God said your religious service your religious acts does not give you the right to be disobedient. That's deep. And we always pick on this 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 theoretical sister girl who lonely and want a man. And we make fun and everybody laugh at them. But a whole lot of people end up in that spot. And one of the things that dragged them to that spot is religious motives. And they think that it's okay for me to enter into a relationship with this person who is an unbeliever and God told me that not to be equally yoked with unbelievers. But since I'm going to be ministering to him, it's okay. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Your religious acts of service does not give you to right to be disobedient to God. Some people call this theology. And they will tell you that because one day, a long time ago, you wrote it in the back of your Bible that you signed a card and you got dumped in the pool and you re- repeated after a preacher, that means everything is okay. And the conviction that God put in your heart is something that you slowly work on one day and one day you're going to finally get it right, but it ain't that bad, baby, it's okay. Because you said a prayer, because you've been dunked in the pool, because you go to church, because you read your Bible and you be nice to people. I'm saying, and when you at the office, you go get everybody coffee. That don't make disobedience okay. Disobedience, he said, is just like the sin of witchcraft. So you might as well be out there putting curses on people if you ain't gonna be doing what I'm saying. You might as well bow down and put your belly in front of that fat little kitchen guard that the folk have in their stores that we call Buddha. You might as well do the same thing. ain't no difference between you and them if you're living in rebellion. Because he said rebellion is just like idolatry. That's deep. So when I'm disobeying God, I'm being idolatrous. When I'm disobeying God, I'm committing witchcraft. When I'm doing my own thing my own way, refusing to do things God way, there's no difference between me and a witch. That's pretty heavy. I'm a manipulator. And he says, since you have rejected the word of the Lord, I have rejected you. Hold up, God. I disobeyed one piece of one command that you gave me. That's what Saul did. He killed everybody but the king. He destroyed everything but some sheep. He just left one little piece undone. And God said you rejected the word of the Lord, therefore I have rejected you. That's heavy. You mean tell me that I can do 90% of what you told me to do? But since I don't go all the way and I do a good act for you, I ain't did none of what you said. You have rejected the word of the Lord. This is deep. This is heavy. And what we cannot allow to happen is Saul's response was his justification. That when the conviction hit us, when the spirit convicts us, when somebody called you out, even if it's one of your own children. so sometimes that happens. You be doing foolishness in your children to ask you a question. And it can create all type of conviction, all just deep all up in all nasty. And you just be <laughs> saying, you be ready to slap them in the mouth and knock them all across the floor. Then what you said to me? You know, <laughs> slap the little child because you feel bad. I'm saying. Okay? Even if it come from them, don't justify yourself. Be willing to be wrong and allow God to truly deal with that if you have to go to hit flips and make gymnastics to make your actions right, it, they probably ain't right. I'm saying, if you got to sit down and really go through your head and say, you know what I'm saying, what, what happened? Well, I'm saying, I, I really didn't do it. Didn't, no, they it probably ain't right. <laughs> I'm saying, you got to get the deep some convoluted explanation. It probably wasn't right. And just be wrong and say, I'm, God, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I messed up. Because as long as you like Saul, you're going to end up with Saul. Now, what, what Saul? This thing get a little deeper with Saul. 24 says, Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. Uh-oh. Saul got it right. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Oh, Saul is being real honest right now. He's like, I was scared. The people, you know what I'm saying, they were with me. I messed up. Saul, now he almost a Christian now we ready to just put him on the tvn and let him preach. He said he messed up. He said, now therefore, watch this. I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid upon the skirt of his mantle and in it rent. And Samuel said unto him, the Lord have rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and have given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor now, honor me now. I pray thee before the elders of my people and before Israel and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then said Samuel, bring ye hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and Agag, and came unto him delicately. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as, the swore, as thou swore that made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house to Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. This is deep and a very sad ending. A very sad ending. But Saul in his repentance. Did you notice what Saul kept asking for? On the surface, it did seem like Saul was real legit. He's like, I'm sorry, I sinned. But twice he said, turn thou with me and go with me that I may worship the Lord. Then he said again, turn with me and go with me before the elders of the people that I may worship the Lord. Samuel refused to go with Saul and turn and walk with Saul because Saul's heart was still in the same place. He wanted the approval of the people. And so in his repentance, he was saying he was sorry because he got caught. And Samuel was exposing him and scolding him which made him lose favor in the eyes of the people. The thing that Saul still wanted was to look like he was the man and everything was okay in the eyes of the people. He refused to be truly humble. Now, did he do the right thing? He said, yes, Lord, I see him, but his motives wasn't pure. He wanted the approval of the people. He didn't want to be embarrassed. That's why Samuel refused to walk back with him. He wanted to come back. We had this private meeting. Everything okay. The man of God is still with me. He's still by my side. Because as long as the man of God was with him, the people of God would have been with him. But soon as the man of God departed from him, the view of him in the eyes of the people changed. And that's the two levels of Saul's response. He justified himself. He refused to be wrong. And once he finally gave up and relented, he still wanted to appear to be right in the eyes of the people. So in his closet, he secretly said, I messed up. But he wanted Samuel to put on this front that everything is cool. And now there's a horrible response to sin. You do not justify yourself before people and hope that people continue to look at you in a certain way when you know you're wrong. God takes no pleasure in that. And there are a lot of times where we have these secret confessions. Now, I'm not saying everything you do, you're supposed to tell everybody. No, not necessarily. But I'm saying there's a level of motive in our heart that we have to be willing to examine Because sometimes there are some things that we do that God need us to open up and say, this is what I was in. This is what I did. I was wrong. And we refuse to do that because we're driven by the perception of the people over repentance towards God. Like I said, I don't mean everything you're supposed to tell you. You know what I'm saying? But sometimes you know it in your heart, that's stuff that you don't want nobody to know. And in your heart, you will say, I'm saved and I'm delivered from there. God set me free. But you'll never tell nobody. Because there's a shame and there's an embarrassment that may be attached to that, a stigma that may be attached to it that you don't want to be associated with. So you don't want people to find out that this is what I did. That this is who I was. That, yeah, I was up there praising the Lord and I was up there singing the song, but I was really this person on the inside. And you scared for somebody to know. And that shows you that you're really not repenting. Because if you're truly repenting, you turn all the way from it. And there's nothing to hide. I messed up, but God has delivered me. He has set me free, and I'm no longer that person anymore. But sometimes there's these secret things that we got in our heart, and God wants us. Sometimes he urges us, and sometimes it's for the benefit of other people, but we're too concerned about ourselves that we don't allow people to benefit from our story. Because we're still holding on to that aspect of our life. And that's what Saul had. He wanted the people to see him a certain way. Reality wasn't what, 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 what was on the front of his mind. Perception was reality for him. As long as the people like me, I'm cool. And that's what got him in the position that he was in. The people said he's good sheep. The people said he's good oxen. People said we could do this. Saul said, okay, that's cool. Let's get with it. That would pressure him into it. And so the same thing that led him to his sin is the same thing that kept him in his sin. The perception of people. And like I said, it's amazing. And I feel sorry for for us who caught up in this social world because it can have that effect on us. That we see lives and we see things paraded before us and it put pressure on us that we normally wouldn't have in the rest of the world. Like, I'm glad I grew up in a time without the social media. Like if I was 15, 16, 17 in social media age, I, I, it probably would have been bad. Because I was 15, 16, 17, we were broke. I ain't had nothing. And you know what? All my friends were broke. And I ain't had nothing. So there was no pressure. we joke on each other all the time. That's just because we were broke. So everybody has something that they can joke on somebody about. <laughs> because all of them were broke. But I couldn't imagine if all the people I was surrounded with, one of them same broke people like me who were trying to get the same thing I got, but the superficial people that are on the screen that I keep looking at every day. And all my friends, I got a thousand on. And every time a new pair of come out, they got them on. And I still got them same shoes that my mama bought me. Soon as school started, and I'm not going to get another pair until next year when school starts. This brother here don't want eight pound shoes on ten different pictures. <laughs> I'm saying, i like, golly, I'm gonna, to, I'm gonna have to step my drip up. Ain't know what y'all, y'all folks have said. how have to get this thing going. I ain't seen this brother in the same outfit yet. <laughs> I ain't got but the same shoe that mom bought me at the beginning of the shoe, School. Then if I go to her and I ask her, mama, I need some more shoes. Like, Boy, you got to clean them all. <laughs> i got to clean them things up you got. Like, Mom, I I. D. D. mama, I've been at D. old, mama. You know what I'm saying? If it's a good year, I could say, hey, Ma, it Christmas time. You think I can get some more shoes? now?" Nah. See, but that's a trap. Because if I get them at Christmas, Nothing but led me all the way to school. Start next year, I ain't get no more school start. <laughs> cause You got some shoes that crumble, so I had to pick one. Do you want some new shoes? Nah. Or you want to start next year in them same shoes you got? Right here. See, but that was freedom because I was surrounded by people who had them same choices. I'm saying they were friends, but I knew they were friends. Cause I know you, man. You stay right down the street. I saw your cousin with them shaved shoes on last week. Y'all just traded because y'all were at the same time. But you putting on the front of you, like you doing it. See, but when I'm flipping, I don't know that. I think they doing it. You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying, I see these other young brother, he taking pictures with the money all up his arm. Not knowing that he just stole all that money out of his grandma's purse, but he, he got it. Know what I'm saying? I can see my mama pull out some money. And be like, mama, let me get a dollar. I ain't got no money. <laughs> this all we got. They gonna have to last up to the end of the month. Now you go down to the stove, you get a gallon of that juice, some bread, and some of them red little links that we put in the stove that had that red water on there. So all week everybody used that same hey, little red water. <laughs> see y'all, they got that store right? There. <laughs> that would have been bad. Because if I grew up with that mind, brother, you're going to have to get it. But I ain't had none of them pressures. But now we got them pressures. We see peers and we see friends that keep getting it. And you're like, did you get a new car two years ago? Now you got a brand new car again. And I'm still driving this same old car. They ain't barely put tires on that thing. I had to go down the toad every three months, man. Cause <laughs> I came forward with a $25 tire. Like Tony, do you got $215, 65, 15 You got women memorize tire numbers like they call people. They call they kept to keep buying them same old you tires over and over again. <laughs> but when you're living in that pressure, you see people keep doing this stuff, the pressure because that you want to be one of them type people. And you park your car way at the end of the parking lot when you go to work because you don't want nobody to see you get in it. Because they keep getting a new one. And you got this same one, the paint chip. I'm saying that the stairwell all messed up. Seats all tore up. You get put the little cover on now. <laughs> and thing you know you'd have had that so long, it tore up too. So you shame and it put that pressure on you. And what that pressure to, begins to do, it is it creates a mindset in, a, in us that the perception of people is true approval. And we've been trained like this by, by these little devices, doing all this. How are you being trained like that? Because you can post something. You can, like, Brother Jay, do you put your scripture on there? And you don't be satisfied with the fact that I put a scripture on there. and it's just a scripture that was on my heart. You have to go back and check it and see how many people what, liked it. And if you don't give a two likes, you feel insignificant about yourself. Like my scripture want not that good. Like, you know what I'm saying? I put a bad scripture up. You know what I'm saying? I ain't put a good scripture on. No. You, know you, you got to tag people. and You trying to make them like your scripture. Call <laughs> you nobody like your scripture. <laughs> That's because our mind has been rewired till we accept. Being good to likes. And people respond to us. And that sometimes, special sister girls struggle with the most, but it's a lie to think men don't struggle with it, they do it too. It just ain't as out there. They just know how to hide. What I mean, like you can get a new dress, get a new hair, you look good. And you will come home mad. Cause that not one person, not even your husband, say, Hey, I like your hair, that's a pretty dress you got on. And you feel like he ain't did nothing. That's because our brain has to be re- rewired to think our goodness is connected to other people's acceptance of it. It's like brother do it too. Get fresh up, get shaved, put on a nice new new outfit. Then he go. he checking himself out. All the way he walking. You know what I'm saying? Slow down when he walk. You know and he do the same thing. Don't nobody say nothing to him, man. He's he scratching his head. He got wet again. You know what I'm saying? The brother, they, they were sleeping on him The only difference he starts saying, hey, hey, no, I'm killing him up in there. Because your fit ain't clean unless somebody tell you it's clean. You don't look good unless somebody tell you you look good. You're not beautiful unless somebody tell you you're beautiful. And your actions, your work ain't good unless somebody told you it's good. Because we've been trained that way. And that trickles down into our spiritual lives because we think the same thing about our spiritual lives. Some, All y'all have done it. Like I said, raise a secret hand. How many times you've been in there and you've been praying and you've been seeking God and worship going on a little bit. Then you get a little tired and get a little lax. And then one of them deep spiritual people walk by. Then you start praying extra hard again. You know I'm saying, like you've been going on, no, man. You tired. You was up all night watching Netflix, and you fall asleep for real. <laughs> so, so what I'm saying, but, but now they walk by. You want to get real deep, like you just showed up getting. It. I said, raise the secret hand. I'm not saying, I know. <laughs> don't don't put no eye hand. We let Saul expose himself to <laughs> so put up the secret hand. But folks have done that. But that shows you that you tie your spirituality. To the same thing, the acceptance of people. That's why people have a hard time praying. Because they don't think they're going to pray in a way that people are going to say, hey man, you sure up pray. I'm like, how do you not pray? I'm <laughs> like, that brother, that, I'm talking about, he know how to pray. Okay. <laughs> and we be wanting that response. we like, we want to be the deep prayer that say the thing that make everybody say, oh yeah, that, he got it. Like if you say, Lord, bless me. Your prayer is just the deep as the brother who called on the worshipful master in in, 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 in the deep, the high pontificating, y'all pray the same. Actually, y'all might be a little more better. Because the genuineness is the thing. But our mind has been trained that we attach people acceptance to the goodness of our works. And that's what Saul was in. That's the problem that he had. So he couldn't properly respond to his sin because to properly respond to his sin was to put himself in a place that the approval of the people might not be there. And that's something we have to be conscious of. That we don't justify our sins and that we don't allow the perception of people to dictate how we deal with our sin. And be willing to be exposed. Are y'all with me? We got one last brother on this show. We done had David and David did what? He tried to cover his sin. When we went back in time to Saul and Saul did what? He tried to justify his sin. And look good in front of the people. Now we got this other man. We got to end with one good example. Go to the book of Genesis. Way back in history. We're going to go to Saul. Great, 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 uncle. Genesis, I think it's 40. No. yeah, 40. 39. 39. Genesis 39. And we meet with this last brother who will take us on home. Like I said, we had David. David tried to cover his sin, which ended up bringing hardship and pain on his life for years, all the way to the day of his death. We had Saul. Saul tried to justify his sin and justify himself in the eyes of the people, which ended up bringing judgment on him and his house. All the way to the day of his death. Now we meet into this young brother named Joseph. They great, 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 great uncle. And Joseph, everybody know the wonderful story of Joseph, hated on by his brothers, and his brothers despised him to the point where they took him captive and sold him into slavery. Sold him to some Arab merchants who took him down into Egypt to make him a slave. Just like some of our great, 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 great ancestors, Joseph was put on the market, put up there, and he was bought, bought and made a servant in the house of this dude named Potiphar. Now, Joseph was an exceptional dude. After being rejected, I mean, after being mistreated, spurned by his brothers, sold off into slavery, he ends up in this strange nation, this strange land, working for this strange man as a slave. And Joseph has the ability to maintain his uprightness and his integrity. And Joseph did something that brothers have a hard time doing nowadays. Work. (laughs) I'm saying this brother worked. And he went to work and he worked and he worked hard. Worked so hard and worked so well to the point that he was elevated. Joseph was the chief slave. And more than just the chief slave, this dude Potiphar gave Joseph all his stuff and told him, He's responsible for it. So everything that Potiphar owned was in the hands of Joseph. All Potiphar did was got up and went and do whatever he did for the king. He ain't pay no attention to his own household. Joseph ran it. That's the status that Joseph was elevated to because of his integrity, his hard work. And the Bible said because the Lord was with this brother. Now we pick up in the midst of this thing. Joseph is the man. He had been slown away to a foreign country. I mean to a foreign nation. Made a slave. All out there on his own. And it came to pass in verse 7 of chapter 39. After these things, that his master wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said lie with me. So this is his master's wife. The lady of the house. She digging Joseph. That would mean she cast her eyes upon him. She, she started liking him. She was checking him out. And was like come on up to my bedroom. Lay down with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master would not what is with me in the house and he hath committed all that he had into my hand. Now, remember, Joseph is a slave and his master is not even conscious. What do you mean? He would not what is in his house. The master ain't even conscious of what he got. He's giving it all to Joseph. He don't even check on it. That's how much he ch- trusts Joseph. His brother was a slave. He had every reason worldly-wise to steal everything he had because he got there unjustly. You know what I'm saying he should have just been getting it. It's so like he just think they got me. I'm finna get them. You know what I'm saying part of them would disappear. You know what I'm saying he could have he been going out building him a store somewhere, storing up all type of gold, all type of jewelry for the day that he gonna get with Harry Tubman and get up out of that thing. <laughs> you know, I'm conflating stories a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't born yet. <laughs> In verse 9, it said, there is none greater in the house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's deep. So this is Joseph. Only thing in this house I can't touch is you. And he asked her the question, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So now we're starting to see a difference here. Because when David was tempted. And he was drawn into his sin. God disappeared from the picture. He wasn't conscious of him. Only thing he was conscious of. His desires and his lust. What he wanted. How he wanted it. When he wanted it. Even to the point where after he sinned. And he got caught up. He still wasn't conscious of God. Only thing he was conscious of. Is getting rid of it. Covering his thing. And keeping everything together. But Joseph in a situation. Where He'd been taken away. Life has been unjust to this man. And he got plenty of reason to blame God. Ain't nothing went right. God then gave this man a prophecy through a dream and it ain't even came close to coming to pass. Matter of fact, the complete opposite happened. He, God gave his brother a dream where he saw himself aboard the stars and being greater than his family. And the next thing he know, he in a ditch, begging for his brothers to let him up. Once they finally get him out of there, he's been sold, put in chains and dragged off to a whole nother nation. That don't seem quite right. So he have every reason to not even be thinking about God right now because God ain't done him too good. That's the way it looks in the world out. I mean, where are you thanking God for and you believing in that God? What that God at now? That God that let you get taken. That God that made you a slave. That God that ain't showed up this whole time you've been here. That's the way regular human beings' mind work. But Joseph, going through all those things, Joseph, going through all those trials, Joseph, struggling through all that, was still conscious of the fact that the things that I do in my body is not just a wickedness against my master, it's not just a wickedness against you, but it's a sin against God. So we see the difference here. When we're confronted with temptation, when we're confronted with evil, we need to be conscious of our master. David didn't have that. Saul perverted that and he sought to use God as a justification of his evil. But Joseph was conscious and was conscious of how his actions reflect on his master and more than reflect on how his actions affected his master. So he refused to do it because he knew that if I do this, I'm, I'm hurting God. I'm not just hurting myself and that's one thing I hated. Like I said, well, when I first got saved, it was in the middle of the, uh, the little youth group purity movement. And everybody was having purity balls and buying purity rings and doing all this great stuff. Like I said, and I ain't know too much, but I went to some of them things and I, I always scratched my head when I was in there. Because it's one repetitious thing that happened in all of them, various churches I went to. It had this one thing. Children, y'all don't need to be riding there sleeping around. Y'all don't need to be out there having sex because there's STDs out there. And some of y'all going to get pregnant. That was the same message. Every youth group. And I thought about it. and Maybe I was saved for real. Because the question came to me. Hold up. We don't obey God because God told us to do it. We obey him because it might affect me in the wrong way. That don't seem right. I might hurt myself by disobeying God. So that's why I don't do it. And it don't register in our mind that. You are disobeying God, and He, the Lord and master, creator of all this planet. That's why you do it. Whether they're going to hurt me or not, it don't matter. Because I exist for him. And that's something we need to be conscious of when we're dealing with and we're training our children. Don't train your children to do stuff just for themselves. Because you raised them to be selfish. And then what they end up running into, if they can get into a situation where somebody can justify them and show them how they can escape the pain that you told them was sure to come, they got a reason not to do it. So the only reason you told them but don't do it is because they might get pregnant but people created a ways for them to not get pregnant so now I don't need to do it. You might get an STD. They working on that stuff. <laughs> they failing but they working on it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But even in their failure they convinced the little children that they cannot. Because it's amazing. Read some statistics from the CDC. And like STDs them things shooting up the roof. We got all these medicine, all these pills, and all these things, but somehow the rate keeps going up. And the amazing thing is, these people are smart. What they're saying is, see, we have more cases of STDs now in our nation because more people are reporting it. Not because more people are getting them. It's because more people are reporting it. Why do they say it that way? Because they want your children to feel safe, to be free. And if you train them in that mindset, that negative consequences is the reason you don't do bad things. Once somebody can convince them that there is no negative consequences, they ain't got no reason to obey you. Because they going to try it one time and ain't nothing bad going to happen. And that whole boogeyman complex going to disappear. Because mama said these evil things were going to happen because you paint that bad picture. You're going to go off to college, you're going to meet that man and he going to mistreat you, He going to use you, you're going to end up with STDs, you're going to be pregnant, you're going to get kicked out of school, you're going to be right back here and they ain't raising no baby. <laughs> then they go off to college and then I mean your friend who's going out every other weekend getting <laughs> they ain't got kicked out of school yet they're making good grades, they ain't got no STD yet they ain't pregnant yet, so mama lied to me. So I might as well go get it too. And now you sitting there crying trying to figure out what you're going to do with that baby. Because so that's the only thing you worried about. <laughs> but Joseph's motive was not the consequences. He ain't saying that, man. Potiphar might find out. I'm saying, you sure we won't do that? <laughs> I'm saying, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but is he really gone? No, that didn't even enter into his mind. God was on his consciousness, and that's the way we need to raise our children, to be God conscious, not sin result conscious. And that's the need we, the way we need to have ourselves. We need to always keep God in our mind. I saw I taught a message on this a long time ago. There was one amazing thing that I read, go in and read throughout the Bible, how often God tell people to remember him. I'm like, over and over again, don't forget the Lord your God, remember your creator in the day. Like, why God got to tell people to remember him? Like, you God. It's because sin makes us un-God conscious. And so we need to be God conscious and allow the work of the Holy Spirit to keep our mind on Him. Are y'all with me? Let's finish this thing on up. It's saying, it came to pass in verse 10, as he spake, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her, to lie by her, or to be with her. See, that thing deep. Now did y'all, did y'all catch that? She she switched it up a little bit. Cause at first he came, her her call was to do what? Lie with me. And day by day, as he refused, so she kept going, she was persistent. Now she said, Lie by me. And what the difference is, she lowered the threshold. Cause that's what sin to do for you. Because he said, hey, I ain't finna do that. Well, she just switched it up. Well, you ain't, we ain't got to do nothing. Just come lay in the bed with me. Help me fall asleep. I don't feel safe. <laughs> <laughs> that was what she said. I was like, I don't feel safe. Like I'm saying my husband, he keep going on all these journeys. and He got all these strange slaves and stuff in the house. See, I need somebody to protect me. Just, just come lay here till I fall asleep. We ain't got to do nothing. We can just sit here and talk till I fall asleep. See, it changed that thing up just just a slight change. And then the the goal was to get him to do what? Compromise. Because his mind should have said, well, ain't nothing wrong with just laying in the bed, but I ain't did nothing. But you know, if he would have got in there, he would have been in there. And it would have been over with. 11, it said, it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, "Lie with me." And she left his garment in her, and he left his garment in her hand, and fled and got him out. That's deep. So she began to lower at first, just compromise. You know what I'm saying. Like that man, he, 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 didn't, he didn't ask you out a couple of times. You're like, well, I'm not involved with that. You know what I'm saying? Y'all deep ones. I'm in a relationship with Jesus. That's my man. It's like, okay, we well, ain't got to do nothing big. So let, go, let go out and have a cup of coffee. In your mind, ain't nothing wrong with a cup of coffee. See, he's saying, lie by me, not with me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just a slight sort of change. Because in your mind, originally why you told him no, is because you know this man ain't no good. But when he changed the game and said, Lord the standard just a little bit, that gave me a little freedom. I ain't doing nothing wrong. All it is, is a cup of coffee. And that's what she tried to do with Joseph. And then when it got to the point where she amped the thing all the way back up. And I love Joseph's response. And this should be our response to any and every sin and every temptation. What that brother did. He ran. He got up out of there. Whatever he went in the house to do. He didn't get it done. <laughs> that brother did. And the amazing thing is to me, and say so y'all mind don't work the way mine work. You because I picture myself and stuff. And I watch people and I and I and I pick up patterns. See what well, now, Joseph. If Joseph was one of the brothers I know, because it said he ran and his coat came off, and she had his coat, and he got him out of there. He got up out of there. Now the way brother gets sucked in now, get the same picture. And off up in that thing. She trying to get him. That brother, give him a young man. Got that big old bald head. Good. He got a job in. He in college. Good. And that brother, you say he be going to church and all that stuff. He ain't out there trying to sell drugs and, and, and smoke dope and all that stuff. That brother changed. So I'm gonna get that man. Then she called him. Could you come over here and uh cut my son's hair, cause I can't take it to the shop right there. I got a lot going on. And I don't know when I'm going to be able to get by. I just need you to come cut it out. Yeah, brother Aaron trying to be a good Christian. Man, you know? he get in a little case. Walk over there. I got all their clippers. Because he's a professional. That brother got all time type of clippers in there. So when folks who come out my here, they just had one pound. That brother got about 10 pound of clippers. <laughs> so we going out there with all the clippers. Sitting down. He realized something. Hold up. Where the boy at? <laughs> oh, he with his dad today. They'll be back in a little bit. Could you just sit here and wait for him? It won't be long. I really need you to cut it out. And he get the smile, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> then she turned, he t- put your up. Well, it's going to be a couple of hours, so you come on up, And that brother try to get out. He ran. Then he realized he left his clippers. <laughs> he left his clippers, and then what brought the mess up? See, Joseph got it right. Joseph left it coat, and he kept on running. Aaron leave his clippers. he be like, dog. Oh, <laughs> hey, Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, can can okay uh, uh can, can you see my clippers?" She's like, they upstairs. You got to go come get them. <laughs> Too much, I'm saying. And you know what brothers end up doing? Well, I just want my clip, I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Then next thing you know, we'll see Air for We could or two, then black get that phone call. Hey black man, I need I need to talk to you, man. <laughs> what going on, Aaron? Hey man, uh. Oh no man, oh. <laughs> Why? Because the brother was willing to go back. Joseph wasn't willing to go back. Because going back, trying to get a coat, coat would have turned into a little flirting game. Oh, you want your coat? Here, go your coat. Oh, you can And he would have played that game until he got caught. So Joseph did what? He took the loss. It's over with. <laughs> And that brother stayed away. And that's the mindset we need to have when it comes to sin, when it comes to temptation. Get up out of there. No matter how small, no matter how mute, get out, flee. That was, they Paul tell us in the New Testament, flee fornication. He tells us in Thessalonians, abstain from every appearance of evil. If it's gonna get you trapped, if it's gonna get you in there, hate it. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Because the minute you're willing to compromise, the minute you're willing to put yourself in a position that could lead to that, then you' in now. Joseph was willing to take the loss. You don't know how much he paid for that coat. You know what? It don't matter because his soul ain't worth it, and it should be the same thing with Aaron and the Clippers. Like, man, I gotta re-up. What happened, bro? You and you won't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, like, I, I can't do it. No matter what it takes, no matter what it costs you, you have to be willing. Hebrews 12 talks about Jesus resisting sin and it, it makes this strong statement. It says, you have not striven unto blood and resisting sin. Like that deep. Like people want to say, you don't know what I cost. You don't know what I gave up. You don't know how hard this is. What the Hebrew, right up the Hebrew said, you ain't poured out no blood in your resisting against sin. This thing ain't costing you your life. Because that's what Jesus gave up to get you. To conquer sin, he shed blood. To set you free, he gave his life. To be with you, he left heaven. But you're willing to risk your relationship with him just because somebody sent you a text. Just because you're not willing to live without a smartphone. Just because you ain't willing to leave your clippers at some girl's house. You ain't willing to miss money. You ain't willing to jeopardize relationships. He shed blood. That's what it costs to get you out of sin. And a little discomfort in your life. Being just a little weird from your friends. It ain't worth it to you. People gonna look at you strange. People gonna think you crazy. And you have to be willing to make those sacrifices, to run, to flee, to get away, to scatter, to do whatever it needs to be so that you don't get yourself in those positions. Jesus, talking to his disciples in Matthew 25, I think it is, he said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The idea is you be sober, you be vigilant, you watch yourself, you pay attention to what's going on in you, you pay attention to what's going on around you, and you be willing to do whatever it takes to get away. Because that's the only proper response to sin. And you notice when did Joseph have the proper response? Before he got in it. It was before he got in it. He saw sin coming. And he did the thing you're supposed to do. Run. And I just want to leave you with this last picture. What if. There was something. At your workplace. Like this is your job. They flash the thing at the news. Or whatever it is that's in your workplace. They tell you it has been known to be affected, And people from your job, 12, have died already because of fooling with whatever this is. What would you be willing to do? Would you be willing to leave your job to save your life? Hmm. Something to think about. Would you willing, be willing to put pressure on your employer to tell them, I don't care what it costs this company. I'm not coming to work until y'all get that out of here because people's lives are at risk. Would you be willing to make that stand? Most of us, it'll be a hard thing and we'll have to think about it. But as we see case by case of death and loss and hardship, we would be like, no, I'm not going in there. Because I ain't going to kill myself. And what I'm telling you is that plague has already hit this planet we call earth and it is sin. In the death and the destruction that we see ravishing our nation. The broken homes that we see. The devastated lives that we see. All of the wickedness of this world is an effect of this evil disease we call sin. And unless you are willing to do whatever it takes, even if it means the loss of your job, Jesus said, even if it means the loss of your life to get away from it, you will not be free because sin is deceptive and it sucks you in. So you have to be willing to deny yourself. You have to be willing To run, to flee, to take a stand, to fight, to strive, to resist, to do whatever it needs to be done to make sure you're not in a place where this thing can destroy you. Because it's not a mistake. It's not just a bad habit. It's death. And resisting it, running away from it, is the only means to freedom. Do anybody got any questions?
1: First of all, I really wanted to say thank you about this message. It's just it's so important, and it needs to be said, even though sometimes you know you think you can fix a problem, or you think, it, you know, you know, but you went into depth to, like you said, whatever it costs, and, and I'm so glad to hear this because it's given me more strength Oh, if I have any issues or outcome in the future to, you know, stand on my own feet and, and think about, like you said, you know, is this even worth it for me to see it? And thank you so much. I would like to explain it to me why God uh, told, I think I wanted to make sure i pronounce it right, Hosea, is it? Okay. Why he asked him to marry prostitute and I was just, maybe I read it wrong. Can you kind of mm-hmm. like, that's, <laughs> that's I was confused in that.
0: That's, that's a great question. The basic reason if you read through the story is is that god took this man life and made it a prophetic message so sometimes god will do that if you when you're reading through the prophets he will like make them do things and that's their message so in this one his life was the prophetic message and his wife was representative of israel and he was representative of god now, the thing is, is we can't really tell from reading the story whether or not she was a prostitute when he married her or not. We, we, It doesn't specify. But knowing that she would be that, God told her to marry her and told him, let him know that that was going to happen. But whether or not she was already there when he married her, we don't know. The, the way it's phrased and the way the story is set up, we can't concretely say that she was already but the fact that she was going to be he did know that she was going to leave him and she was going to prostitute herself and the message was that this is what the nation of israel have done to me i brought you into my house i loved you and i made you my own and you have prostituted yourself to other gods and other nations but it was a message of loving and loving kindness and a message of judgment because what ended up happening was he went to get her, brought her back home, but he didn't lie with her or be with her as a husband. She was just in the house, under his hand, doing what he said, and then there was a time of restoration. And that was God's message to the people that I'm going to bring you back to myself, but in my bringing you back, it's going to be under a time of judgment. Then I shall restore you fully into a relationship with me. But the reason he had to do it is because he was a prophet and Sometimes God calls a prophet to do some crazy stuff just for a message. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're, they're, the children's name was prophetic. Like one of them, the first one was Jezreel. That's where I get my son's name from. And it means God has scattered or God has sown. And it was a prophetic message that God was going to bring judgment. And so each child name had a prophecy attached to it. Like I said, God took this man and called him and made his whole life a prophecy. So that's where he got his message from. God didn't just talk to him and say, go say. God talked to him and told him what was going to happen in his world. And he lived it. Then he go tell the people about it. That's pretty deep, right? <laughs> that's a whole other level of prophecy. But the whole story was a, a prophetic message. So his relationship parallel the relationship between God and Israel and that's why he had to go through what he go through to show the people what they were doing to God and he had to live with his wife like God lived with the people so he had the shame of having to go out in the streets to bring his wife back and people being able to say hey man that's your wife I was with all of all all today <laughs> I'm saying and not knowing whether or not his last child was truly his child because towards the end like I said in the beginning she was faithful she was with him then she went out that's why we can't truly say that she was a prostitute at first, because she was with him and she was faithful. Then she left, and he brought her back. Then she left again, and he brought her back, just like the nation of Israel. But that's why he had to do that. Is it someone in particular or a specific type of person that we should confess to?
1: Like, I know the uh, Catholics confess to like the Holy Man. Or,
0: like, yeah. Should we? Or could I talk to the man on the bus? Hey, man, I'm, I'm <laughs> the, the, the biblical picture you got a couple of scriptures that go in that one just generically said confess your faults one towards another so if you got a brother that you know is brother that's in right standing that's upright that's going to love you and protect you that's the brother you confess to so it's not a, a concrete hard rule about this one specific guy that I got to go to and talk to Anybody you know to be a brother that has your good interest, that can school you in the ways and the things of God, that can help restore you, that's the brother you go to. But also in Galatians, when it talks about finding a brother in fault, it gives the picture of one being more spiritual than the other. So the idea is that you go to a brother who you know with some maturity that can help you and elevate you because it's possible that you can go to a brother who's genuine and sincere and you get to confess with him and he's struggling with the exact same thing you're struggling with now now that could help because you get somebody you could pray with or that could hurt both of y'all because you might get somebody who ain't all that deep and be like man yeah i've struggled with that thing too man you know and they they on that saw tip. i'm saying what i realized man if you don't want to say be with no women man then you just Do your thing yourself, man. I'm saying that I I stay sanctified. (laughs) And now you all messed up. (laughs) But there's no the Catholics and their Holy Father stuff that made up. That we all brethren, we all are priests in the household of God and everybody has the right or the authority to speak into the life of another brother because we all exist together. Now there are some of us who are more mature than other ones. So It's best to try to get to a more mature. And the Bible talks about the the elder women bringing up and teaching the, the younger women and the elder men bringing up and teaching the younger men. But can you just go to anybody who you know to have the spirit of God in them? Yes, because the Bible said confess your faults one to another.